we are here, we made it. This is the last sermon on the life of Joseph. Both well, Genesis chapter 37, we started and now we end in Genesis chapter 50. It's been seven months, I think it's been seven months. I didn't think we were gonna stay here for so long, but we did. And this, this is the last sermon that we're going to study about Joseph. Um, a little bit of you know, what we're gonna do after this, I think. On, I think in November, we're going to do a, a type of sermon series. And December, is going to, we're going to talk about Christmas, Advent. And then January, we're going to start a new sermon series in the New, in the new Testament. So that's the outline of the, of the lay of the land, you know, what we're going to do for the next, until the, until, until the end of the year. So we are at the end of Joseph's life. And, you know, I mean... Joseph actually lived it, so Joseph was a man of time and space, so he didn't have the gift that we have, which is to see his life with a 10,000 feet view. We have a broader perspective of his life, right? But Joseph, you know, like all of us, because he lived in time and space, he had a limited view of what God was doing, and yet Joseph remained faithful, right? And I think that's one of the main themes of today. I think all of us like, are caught up in the immediate priorities of life. Right? Things, just are, things just happen to us. But God will see our lives through his perspective. And through his perspective, even the randomness of our lives, even the random daily occurrence of our lives, Makes sense. Okay? So, for those of us who had the privilege of looking at Joseph's life from a 10,000 point of view, what is Joseph's life primarily about? What is the theme of Joseph's life? There are two major themes in Joseph's life. Number one, the earthly theme of Joseph's life is that it's about the brokenness of Joseph's family and God restoring the broken family. Main, one of the main themes of Joseph's story is his family has, is fallen, and God, by his grace, restores his family. Right? So we see today, right, for example, we see today Joseph dwelling with his brothers in the land of Egypt. In Genesis chapter 37, these were the same brothers who wanted to kill him and sold him to slavery. So there is something happened between 37 and, and, and now, and that is that God restored that broken family. So that's one of the major themes of Joseph's life. But a more important theme of Joseph's life, it's God's sovereign plan. God's sovereign agenda. Even though Joseph has experienced God's restoration of his family while he lived in this earth, he still has not experienced God's sovereign plan unfold, like for being fulfilled in his life. But to Joseph, that whether he experienced ultimate fulfillment of God's sovereign plan in his life, it didn't matter. Because Joseph's hope was that one day that God will fulfill his grand design. So those are the two major themes of Joseph's life. God restoring his broken family and a clear outline and Joseph's hope 
in God's unwavering sovereign purposes. Comprende? Those are the two major themes of Joseph's life. Let's talk about these themes one by one. Let's talk about Joseph's broken family and how God restored his broken family. In order to fully grasp, have a more comprehensive understanding about Joseph's broken family, we need to understand how a brokenness of a family is so contrary to God's design and, what, and how sin just totally corrupts this perfect design that God has for us, right? So let's talk about the theology of a family, for example, for, for a moment. Yes, the Bible has a theology of a family. We need to understand, so all of us live in hyper-individualized culture, right? So one of my, you know, coworkers is a, is a person who was raised in India, right? And India still has a very family-based culture where everyone kind of lives together and everyone has an auntie or whatnot who arranged marriages. So everything happens within the context of a larger family. Whereas people in the West, especially America, we have a hyper-individualized view of everything. Everything is about our immediate consumption. What has to do with me? But biblically speaking, God is never really about just an individual. Even though God saves individuals, God's grand purposes, God's design, design for a human being, is never just for about that one person. God is always about family of people. God saving a group of people. God blessing a group of people. When God saves a person individually, Paul is clear about this. When God saves a person individually, he, he, that person has now become part of the body of Christ. So for, in God's perspective, there is no individual Christian who's out there solo. When you're, if you're a Christian, God always places you within a larger part of his people. Because God's design for a human being is always being part of of a group of people. And his people begins with a family. When God designed a human being, he designed a human being for a family. How do you know? When God created Adam, he says it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. God does not mean it's sad that that dude is lonely. When God says, I, it's not good for a man to be alone, God is not saying, that dude is so lonely, he's going to be in his, like his mom's basement like playing video games. That's not what God means. When God says something is not good, he, it's, he's saying it's not complete. A human being is not complete. The human race is not complete without a family. That's why God created Eve, woman. A human being, humanity, is incomplete without a family. And what is very interesting about this family, so when God created a humanity, he created a man and a woman. But when he created a woman, he created the woman 
in the exact opposite of a man. This is what I discovered a couple of weeks ago. The word for woman, God says, I created this woman to be your helper, Adam. The word helper means beneficial adversary. You know what adversary is? Your opponent. The word helper means beneficial adversary. Which means the woman is your opposite. But she's your, the opposite, her op opposite from you is for your benefit. That's what it means for a woman to be your helper. When, man, when God created woman out of like, man's side, it says, the word side is called also the same as stumbling block, which means the woman is a stumbling block because the woman is different from you. The difference is, in, in, in the Garden of Eden, for example, men had the, Adam was called to look at creation, study creation, and give creation its name. He's called to theorize about creation, label creation, label truth, figure out truth in creation. Whereas Eve was created to commune with, with, with creation. Adam was created to study and label and, 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 and theorize. Eve was created to become commune, commune with creation, to feel creation, right? So the purpose is different. Eve was something that Adam does not have. And I think from that moment on, I think that that's the design of men and women. For example, when women go through struggles, whether you are Korean, or American, or Indian, whoever, I've surveyed people of all race. And all the dudes say, when my lady like, shares me about her burdens, I don't know what to say. I gave her a solution. And my lady says, that's not what I'm looking for. Every, <laughs> it transcends all cultures, all nationalities, Everyone, the dude says, I don't, know what I, want. I don't know what to do. I give her solutions, but she doesn't want my solutions. She says, that's not what I need. I don't know what she needs. It's because you're designed differently. Men are designed to look at creation and label it. Whereas women are created to commune and feel creation. That is how God completes humanity. Within the family, men and women coming together to create a family. And that's how God designed a humanity to be. Humanity is incomplete without family. A man is incomplete without a woman. Once again, God creates God is interested in a group of people. God is interested in a family. Not only that, families is a means in which humanity multiplies itself. And the family is a means in which humanity discovers truth and love.
right? For example, when like, children are born through the union of man and wife, and the, then those children populate the earth, and the number of human beings increase in the world through the unit of the family. And not only that, the children that are raised by a loving father and mother are reared in the truth. And these kids, ideally, are supposed to be spiritually healthy. And these truthful, spiritually happy people go out and meet other spiritually healthy people. And therefore, humanity is supposed to multiply that way. God multiplies humanity numerically as well as in the truth and spiritually through within the context of the family. That's how God designed humanity to be. When God says to Adam, be fruitful and multiply, he just doesn't mean, Adam, have a lot of babies. That's a partly of what that, what that call is. But, a more important, but another important call to that calling is teach your children in the ways of the Lord. Love them and teach them in the truth so that they will be people of truth, so that people of truth can be multiplied in the world. God's design for human beings is to multiply people with truth and, and healthy spirituality. Family is the most basic building block of, of, of a society. Society is made up of different families. That's what society is made up of. If an individual family starts breaking down, if families start to break down, the society starts to break down. God designed it so the society is made up of healthy families. That's why in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment that has to do with our relationship with other people, commandment one through four is about our relationship with God. Commandment five through ten is about our relationship with others. Commandment five, the first commandment that has to do with our, our relationship with other people, is honor your father and mother. Very before murder, before adultery, before stealing and lying commandments, the first commandment regarding humanity is honor your father and mother, which means honor the family structure that God has given you. Because if, you, if that family structure falls apart, if children rebel against their parents, the society will fall apart. That's because God designed every, a society to be made up of families. That's, how God, that's the theology of a family. That's God's design for human beings. What sin does is sin destroys the family. The way the devil destroys God's design is he goes after families. Adam and Eve sinned. The first thing they caused was division between man and wife. When, Adam, when, when they sinned, the first thing Adam said was, the woman you put in the garden made me do this, which means there's a clear division now between a man and a woman, husband and wife. From that moment on, their children, Cain and Abel, Abel, Cain kills his little brother, Abel. 
first generation of human beings, the older brother kills the younger brother. Division in the family. And what Jordan Peterson says, and I think he's right, he says the biblical story are truth, are true, because the biblical stories are a model of what happens to people over and over and over again. And he says, what happened to Cain and Abel is the story that happens to families over and over and over again. Show me a family, and I'll show you a division within that family. There is no family where human beings, where, where, where there is a problem between husband and wife, or there is a problem between brothers and sisters, or, or parents or, or children, or uncles. And you know, there is this, you know this, I'm looking at you. Eh? Eh? But most of you have divisive families. Maybe not immediately, maybe your children are too little to be divisive, but there is division in your family. There's judgment, there's, there is passive aggressiveness, there is unforgiveness, there is mistrust, there is division in your family. Why? Because of the horrible nature of sin. Men and women says, I don't need God. And the first casualty of their rebellious mindset is a casualty within the family. Husbands hating, husband and wives hating each other. Brothers and sisters hating each other. Fighting over parents' inheritance. It's an ugly, ugly mess. One of the main corporations in Korea, right? I think it's made up of three siblings. They hate each other. The richest people in Korea, they hate each other because of power. If you are facing family struggles, it's because you're living in a fallen world. And you are living in a repeated cycle that Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve have caused. Think of Joseph's brothers. Joseph was 17. A little older than my daughter. And these guys who were in their tw late 20s, early 30s, took a 17-year-old boy and beat him up so badly. And they sold him as a slave. They sold a 17-year-old boy, their brother, as a slave. Isn't that a repeat of Cain and Abel? Let's be real. All of us are living the repeated cycle of Cain and Abel. But God in his mercy restores family. Right? God in his mercy restores Joseph's family. God did it, right? God allowed the brothers 
not to kill, not to kill Joseph, but sold him to slavery. And God controlled Joseph's life, where he ended up in Potiphar's house. And from Potiphar's house, God allowed him to win favor in Potiphar's eyes. And he, he, he succeeded in Potiphar's house, so because of God. God also allowed Potiphar's wife to accuse Joseph of rape. And God allowed Joseph to go to jail for two years. But God also allowed Joseph to win favor in the eyes of the warden. And God allowed the baker and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the wine cupbearer to be under Joseph's charge. God allowed Joseph to interpret the cupbearer's dream, which eventually led him to Pharaoh's household, which eventually led him to become the one of the prime minister of Egypt. God allowed the famine to come into the land and the brothers to come to Egypt for food. God allowed Joseph, God reminded Joseph of his sovereign plan that allowed Joseph to have a forgiving heart to his brothers, and he forgave them. God allowed the reconciliation. God designed everything to reconcile Joseph to his family, to his brothers. There's nothing that Joseph has done that made him be able to forgive his brothers. God did all that. It happened within the course of 13 years, 14 years, that forgiveness. But within a 14-year time span, God controlled all things so that their families can reconcile. Your family is broken because of the repeated pattern of Cain and Abel. They are. But do not lose hope. God will restore your family. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. But he promises to restore. So pray. Pray for them continually. And maybe 10 years down the line, the way it works is you pray for, you pray for them, and eventually, God, they will be able to hear God's call in their lives. Primarily through suffering, these people will be able to hear God's call. Since Jesus Christ, God is making his, God is calling everyone to himself every day. And eventually, people will hear his voice and will come to you. And, and, and not knowing what to do, it is then you share the gospel. We don't know how long that will take. But you pray for them. Know that brokenness is a very natural part of life in this broken world. But even if it takes 15, 20 years, if you faithfully pray, God promises to restore your family.
speaking of families, every family is divided, like I said. Even, and I have to be very sensitive about this, even your immediate family is divided. Jesus says in Matthew chapter, what did he say? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, do not suppose that I come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus says, because of me, your family will be divided. Divided from those who believe in me and those who do not. Let me talk to parents in a very gentle and, and, and truthful way. I know you love your kids. I love my kids. And I know you want the best for your kids, and that's true for every parent. But it is clear your family is divided in that. There is a high probability that your kids do not know the Lord. When they're young, trust me when I say when they're young, they will come to church. They will go to Sunday school. They'll be raised culturally Christian. And they will believe what you think, what you ask them to believe. They will. Because you have a huge influence over their lives. But the reality is, and I'm experiencing that with my son and my daughter, eventually they will not see things the way you see things. They will not know the Lord. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that a person believes truly that Jesus Christ created all things. All things exist because of him. All things exist for him. He, is, he holds everything together. And he's the architect of existence. How in the world is a person able to believe in that? When your children don't have critical thinking, they will just agree with you of what you say. But eventually, and as a father who's going through this, they will one day, unless the Lord is gracious to them and open their eyes, they will not see Christ the way you see Christ. They may identify themselves as culturally Christian. But following Christ, living for him? I am so sorry, but you don't have that much, that you will not have that much influence over your children where they will live for Christ because of you. They will not. Like my children would not live for Christ because of me. 
your house will be divided. Not in a way that I hate you, mom, I hate you, dad kind of a way. I hope that that's not going to happen to you. But in the matters of true faith, they will not see things until, unless God reveals it to them. That's the reality. What are you to do? You are the call to be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord. Faithful in the word. Do, do what he has called you to do faithfully. Faithfully worship with the people of God. Let your kids see this is the priority. This is a reality. Worship God regularly, publicly with the people of God, privately by yourself. Continually pray for them. Not just read the word, but help be, but ask God to be, for you to be persuaded by the word. And do good. Do good to your children. When they need something, when they're sad, be there for them. Be kind to them. When you are faithful, God will use your faithfulness to make an impact on your children's lives. Having a good Sunday school is important. It is. Being exposed to worship at a young age on church is a very important thing. It's true. I agree with you. But Sunday school will not make an impact. Nor are they called to make an impact. As God has called you to make an impact. And the way that you make an impact is to be faithful to God. I know it's tempting, not you, but people are driven by programs. Before COVID, people are driven by programs. And one of the decisions that people make in joining a church is how good their youth program and children ministry program are. And that's all important, but I think the incorrect thinking is we believe we can, if we can just outsource, if we can just outsource our children's religious education to somebody, then somehow that will make a difference in their children's lives. I'm not diminishing the importance of youth ministry and children's ministry. I'm not. But the calling to make an impact is the parent's primary calling and not the church, not programs. The reality is your kids, your family will be divided. Your kids will not, your kids will not believe. Don't hate me, but that's what Jesus says. The best way to change that is for you to be faithful to the Lord. God restores families through your faithfulness, but it is also very, very important to know, right? 
that God's defi- Jesus' definition of family is not strictly tied to your biological relationship. That's not how the Bible, that's not how Jesus defines a family. Once again, God designed human being for a family, and that's true. But a family is, in, in the New Testament setting, after Jesus, your family is more than people that you have a biological connection to. Your family is more than your direct children. Your family has to do with the people of God. Jesus said what? This is what Jesus says. Who is my father and mother? Who is my brother and sister? Jesus says, the one who does the will of my father is my father, is my, is my brother and sister. Jesus is giving a new definition of a family. In the Old Testament, family was determined by direct biological, physical lineage. In the New Testament, family is, deter- is connected to spiritually to those whom Christ has saved. They are your family. Your church is your family. And Jesus says, just as I have died for myself for the church, and just as I continually provide for the church, if you are my disciple, you will, you will care for the people of the church. That's what he's saying. Your call is to take care of your family, including Jesus' family. Remember Ricky? Man, I miss him. Ricky belongs to a church in Texas. It's like 20 people, less than 20 people in his church. But they're super connected. He says one of the members had cancer. So all the 20 people got together, and I think they they gathered $100,000 or something. When one of them was sick, they worked together so that everyone shared so that I think $100,000 or something. Don't quote me on it, but thousands of dollars were generated for this one guy that has cancer. Because they, that's the family. Compared to this kind of a church, to the modern definition of a church, where people are just one of, one of thousands, hundreds and thousands of people in a crowd, where you go and you listen and you have your fill and you leave. What do you think it's, it, it's, it's more fitting to God's definition of a church? Consumer-based, in and in, get in and get out type of church? Or type of church where 20 people raise thousands of dollars for a one-on-one member. What is more honoring to God? What is more in line with God's will? If you are a Christian, you are called to care for God's family in that way. I have so many things I want to say about mega churches, but I will restrain because this is a public forum. Okay, one of the things I will say is I view mega churches, get in and get out type of churches, as a repository, a storage house, 
of thousands of unused spiritual gifts. God has called, gifted every single human being, every single Christian, spiritual gifting to serve the church. But if you are in a get in and get out type of church, you're not using your spiritual gifts, which means you're letting your spiritual gifts rot. I view megachurches as a storage house of unused spiritual gifts, and that's a tragedy. God's calling is for you to take care of God's family. So God restores Joseph's family. And God will restore his family. We all belong to the people of God. We are, church is basically a family of God. And as God restored Joseph's family, God will eventually one day restore his people. His people, his family will be completely restored when God brings down his new heaven and new earth, his, when God brings, out, brings down his heaven into this earth. Our hope as Christians is to always hope, is to fixate our hope on that one day when God will restore all of us by bringing down his heaven on earth. That's the, exactly the type of hope that drove Joseph. What Joseph wanted more than anything else is a fulfillment that God will, God will lead his descendants to the promised land so that God will build a new humanity through his descendants. That's what Joseph wanted more than anything else. That was Joseph's vision. Look, Joseph, like, he became prime minister when he was 32, 31 to 32. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, around, around 30, 31, around 30. And he died when he was under than 10. So for 80 years, Joseph was one of the most powerful men in the, in the, the most powerful country in the world. Joseph had everything. Joseph had a family that was restored. Joseph had Joseph seen his children prosper, right? It says Joseph saw his son having great-grandchildren. I'm sorry, his son's having, yeah, great-grandchildren. Joseph loved long, long enough to see his children prospering and numerically prospering. Joseph had everything, but Joseph's hope was always tied to the day where God will take his people out of Egypt to bring them back to the promised land so that God can build his kingdom there. Despite all the dream come trueness of Joseph's life, his vision, what he really wanted, never changed. What he really wanted was God to take his family out of Egypt to the promised land where God will rebuild humanity through them. That was Joseph's hope all along. How do you know? How was Joseph, how was Joseph able to forgive his brothers when Joseph was 30? His brothers did an amazingly cruel thing. 
But Joseph was able to forgive them, not because Joseph was a good guy, but Joseph saw that their evil was part of God's plan of saving his people. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers because he interpreted his brother's action in the light of God's ultimate purpose, which is to save the people of God so that God will build a new humanity in the land of Canaan. That comprehensive understanding made Joseph able to forgive his brothers. Do you understand? It's not because he was a nice guy. He had a deep theology about God. And this is the same thing that Joseph said at the end of his life. Joseph says, God will send, one of the last things that Joseph said to his brothers is, God will send a helper to you so that God will take all of his people out of Egypt into the promised land. That's the last thing that he said. That vision stayed with him all 80 years. That's the hope that defined Joseph. And that is the hope that defines all Christians. Joseph defined his life primarily through God's agenda. God's agenda, like I said, God's ultimate agenda for human beings is to build a new humanity in the world, and that new humanity will finally be restored when Jesus brings his kingdom down from heaven on earth. And when he does that, we will be raised with new bodies. His people will be fully restored. We will praise God. Hallelujah. That's the day that we live for. That's God's agenda. And Christians are called to have that agenda always in their mind when they live in this earth. I know you have immediate agendas. I know you do. I have it too. I know you have immediate projects you got to deal with. I know you have immediate needs that you need to deal with. I do too. The other day, a board member of a Fortune 200 company yelled at me and said, get it done. No one talked to me ever that way before. He looked at me and said, get it done. We pay you good money, don't we? He says. You guys are known for this. You guys are the best, aren't you? Get it done, he says. Or else I'm going to report you to the chief human resource officer of my company. Okay. So guess what? I got to get it done this week. I know what it means to have immediate agendas in your life. And God will provide, give you wisdom for those agendas. He will. I promise you he will. But you just can't be stuck in that immediate agenda. You got to look beyond that immediate agenda to see God's ultimate agenda, which is the building, completion of his new kingdom in this earth. Joseph was sure, sure that that thing will happen. Joseph said to his brothers, 
God will send you a helper to bring you out of this land. Maybe he said it because his brothers and his, and his descendants were getting too comfortable in Egypt. Because they were living in Goshen where everything was good. Maybe they misunderstood, you know, the good life here on this earth, right? As if, as if this is what all there is. So maybe he said it because his family was starting to compromise and start loving the world a little too much to lose perspective on what is really important. Maybe that's why he said that. Or maybe Joseph said that God's going to send you a helper to bring you out of this land because Joseph knew after he dies, Egyptians are going to be bad to his family. Remember, Joseph was the most, second most powerful person in the land, and Egyptians did not like the Jews. And maybe the Egyptians were tolerating the Jews, Joseph's family, because for the sake of Joseph. But if Joseph dies, gloves are off. And the Egyptians are starting to start to persecute the Jews. Which happened, by the way, for 400 years. And so maybe he said it because Maybe he was predicting that one day Egyptians are going to be horrible to you. But do not lose hope in that horrible day because God is going to send someone to deliver you out of this land. Don't lose hope. And you know what? God did send someone to bring his people out of that land. That person was Moses. It happened 400 years after Joseph's death. But God still sent Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt. Joseph never lost hope that God was going to build his new kingdom through his descendants. He was sure of it. He was so sure, he says, when God, when God sends his helper to bring you out of the Egypt, take my bones with you so that I'll be buried in God's land. Is interesting. You know what Joseph did to his body? His last will and testament was they embalmed him, they preserved him, and they mummified him, but they did not bury him. They did not put him under the ground. They did not put him in a tomb. They did not bury him. They did not bury Joseph. Why? Because Joseph knew his bones were not going to be buried in Egypt. His bones would be buried in God's promised land. He was so sure of it that he says, yeah, don't even put me in the ground, y'all. When the deliverer comes, take, take care of my bones into the promised land. He was so sure of this hope. Guys, be so sure of this hope that God will complete his kingdom in this world. And God will renew you. It is difficult to live this life now. It is, let's be honest. When board members of Fortune 200 companies tell me to get it done, it's hard. Church life is topsy-turvy at times. It's hard. But in those moments, like those t-shirts say, stay calm. 
think about God's ultimate agenda and to have hope in that agenda. The Holy Spirit constantly comes to you to remind you of God's ultimate agenda. The job of the Holy Spirit is not only to give you counsel, he does, but the counsel that he provides is to remind you of God's plan. So that by reminding you of God's plan, you will have proper perspective of the various trials that you face in this world. So like Joseph, have ultimate hope, not on your retirement plan. Have ultimate hope on God's completing his kingdom in this world. Let's pray.